I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to Wells Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. It is great to have your company as we head into this Thursday afternoon. As we usually do, just gone midday Eastern Standard Time, and it is time for the call. Ten stocks that you've suggested we have a look at. I put that to two experts uh, for an opinion, and we do all of that in one hour. And absolutely delighted to welcome our our experts today. The the creme de la creme, let's call it, of uh, of our experts here on the call. Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Julia, good to have you aboard again. Koshi, great to be here. How's, how's the portfolio going? Oh, we had a great month last month. We were up by almost 10%. So reporting season is usually, you know. You got Julia, 10% a month. <laughs> wow. I can't promise that going forward. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's great because it was reporting season. So yeah. it was really a tick of approval that we had chosen those companies for yeah. improving out. Any surprises in reporting season? Uh, I think just a number you? of companies that still withheld guidance yep, uh, going yep. into the new financial year. So still kind of a, a strange um, strange place to be. And also just in terms of the stocks that rallied, the two best yeah. performing stocks were corporate travel and IEL. I yeah. mean, IEL, IDP education was up by almost 50%. Yep, and yep. corporate travel up by almost 80%. Yep. Wow, IDP. Um, you don't hear the universities whinging about that one, do you? They're whinging about their fu- government funding, but they, I think the universities own 50% of IDP, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they Worth do billions. placements into universities and the English testing as well yeah. for overseas students. Yeah, yeah, which is, uh, you know, uh, to all their international students, you've got to do this test through a company that we own. That's a really smart play. Also joining us, Rod Bristol from Climb Investment Management. Rod, how are you? Uh, how's it, how did you find reporting season? Yeah, probably uh, the trends leading into reporting season were pretty well identified. So we uh, didn't see too many surprises and had a pretty strong portfolio result as a result. So uh, I think what happens from here is gonna be really interesting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Rod, do you think, um, because we're going to get into um, annual general meeting um, season pretty soon as a result of this, are you expecting companies to give more guidance in the AGM, seeing they would have had sort of four or five months trading under their belt for this half year? You would expect so. I think think what will be interesting is to see uh, which companies go first and if they're not giving guidance, how the market responds. I think that yeah. uh, you know we would be looking for companies to be nice and robust about where they think the company's going, taking into account what we've seen over the last six months. Uh, whether or not that will actually take place, you know, we'll find out very shortly. But you know, generally, what we've seen so far is that the companies that are publishing that guidance, if they're upfront, if they're talking about the rationale for why they're providing that guidance at that level, uh, the market has responded in a more rational way. Right. Okay. All right. Let's um, 
uh, before we get into your 10 stocks that you've uh, asked us to have a look at, I always pick a stock of the day. And uh, I thought today we'd take a look at Whisper, a communications management software company. Uh, according to the Financial Review, Whisper's pre-IPO backers, um, Australia's uh, Telstra Ventures and Singaporean Fund Open Space Ventures are selling their state worth over $76 million. It's only a week after it was announced that Whisper would be added to the S&P ASX All Technology Index. And whenever any big backer sells out of a, a company, you've always questions uh, appear, Julia, don't they, on why are they doing it? Should I stay there? Uh, what do you think of Whisper at the moment, given uh, these conditions? I mean, Whisper, you know, is having its day in the sun at the moment because yep. they're winning a number of government contracts um, because of COVID-19. And really, this is a communications um, platform where if you want to send out SMSs or emails, you can do it all through this platform and yep. it amalgamates everything. So it's great to see them adding new clients. But as you mentioned, when you do see big backers selling out of companies you have to ask yourself you know are the best days already behind it mm. i think with whisper the exciting thing is that they haven't made huge inroads into the us yet which is a, a big market so that's still in front of them yep. but having said that for the short term look I, i'm thinking if you're in whisper a little bit of money off the table probably looks prudent just from a technical perspective, that's a double top there. Um, right. It looks like an M shape right at the end from July to September. You're looking at a neckline at $3.81. So if we do see it going under $3.81, that's a potential breach down to around the $2.80 level. Is wow. the next level of support there, yeah. Okay. So there might be a better opportunity. And look, I note that Today, the share price is coming under pressure because um, some of the shares have come out of escrow yep. and they were sold for uh, $3.81, so, um, so just above where that neckline right, is. Right, okay, so you'd be taking profits and not looking at buying until it settles down? Yeah, I'd just be watching that. I mean, I, I make my investments based on fundamentals, but I like to look at technicals because I hate buying something and then yep. watching it drop off. So in this particular one, the setup, I'll probably wait to see how it okay. pans out. The longer term success story, I think that US market is worth keeping right. an eye out on, right. but there's not a clear plan of attack there. Okay. Uh, Rod, what's your view on Whisper? Yeah, I think there's a lot to like. Uh, you know, we've got this combination of recurring revenues, good solid customer base with enterprise and government clients, people like AGL, Monash University, City of Hobart. Uh, so I think there's, we've got a good increase in recurring revenue year on year, which I think is very positive. Uh, I think there are potentially two ways to look at the, the kind of um, institutional sellout. And one of those ways is, of course, the concern, which is, well, why are they getting out now? If there was a view that the stock was cheap, they'd probably be holding. Um, the other way is that maybe this might actually free the company up a little and get a, uh, you know, that overhang that uh, may potentially be there, get that out of the way. So um, I think... I agree with Julia on this one. I, you know, we've got some concerns, and those concerns are around, you know, it's valued at or trading at ten times revenue, which is always a little bit of a concern. And we think that there, there's, um, you know, 15 million worth of cash sitting there on the balance sheet. Uh, you know, there may be a risk of needing to go back and tap the market if that growth strategy either accelerates or doesn't pan out the way that they're expecting. So, it is expensive uh, at the moment. I think if you're comfortable with that cash burn rate as the business starts to scale, it could potentially be quite a good play, but uh, it looks like a hold for now. Uh, and I also agree if you're, uh, there might be an opportunity to take a little bit of money off the table. 
Right, okay. All right, some good analysis there on uh, Whisper. Let's get into your uh, 10 stocks that you want us to give a view on. And uh, Rod Carlos wants a view on Suncorp Group, the, uh, the big Queensland-based insurance slash uh, financial institution. Mm. Um, how do you see Suncorp travelling at the moment? Yeah, I think uh, you know, that kind of bank assurance model has really faced some challenges in the last few years. And so we, we always try and look at the positives or the pros and the cons of each of the, these opportunities that come forward. And I think, you know, the, the forecast div yield at 5%, fully frank, is pretty attractive. Uh, but on the downside, that earning certainty is, is one of the things that I guess has raised a little bit of a question mark in our mind. I think the... You know, with the review that's been announced, uh, there's always a little bit of an uncertainty that goes with that review. You know, various estimates are putting five to ten percent of jobs to go in a, you know, what's called a digital and data-driven transformation. It kind of feels a little bit late to us to be talking about digital and data-driven transformation. It is 2020 after all, so it kind of feels to us like Suncorp needs to accelerate that review and needs to accelerate the outcomes of that review. You know, if you're looking at EPS, it's gone backwards for the last three years and return on equity is now mid-single digits. So, you know, some of those classic quality metrics that we look at when we're investing uh, are causing us a little bit of indigestion on this one. Um, and how can, you know, on the upside, is there an opportunity for Suncorp to grab some market share from the big four as they, uh, you know, are going into a pretty severe impairment cycle? So. All in all, I think, you know, that to us indicates that there's some, some pretty big challenges in this one, and uh, we would probably call this one a sell right now. Right. Okay. Julian? Uh, I mean, if you have a look at Suncorp, it's insurance, general insurance and bank, and yeah. I guess it's one of Australia's largest general insurers, and it's the Australia's sixth largest banks by bank by deposit. So you're looking at those two businesses. The difference between um, Suncorp and the big four banks is not only the insurance side of the business, but the concentration. So in terms of general insurance, you're concentrated in Queensland. So if yep. you see any big natural disasters hitting just Queensland, that's a negative for the insurance business, although they have strong reinsurance in place. And then on the banking side, they're also strongly concentrated in New South Wales and Queensland. And I think in the current environment, that's actually a positive rather than being diversified and um, having a lot more exposure to Victoria, for example, which is coming under pressure. Yep. I'm hearing a lot of anecdotal um, evidence that we are seeing migration of a lot of retirees from Victoria into Queensland. So the property market seems to be holding up relatively well there compared to places like Victoria and even New South Wales. So look, I don't mind it here. There is a possibility, there's been talk of for a while that they could break up their assets and uh, spin off the bank um, to unlock value, which is a possibility as well. So I don't like the banking space because there's probably more impairments mm. of our debts to come. Yeah. However, if I was to pick between the big four and Suncorp, I'd probably prefer Suncorp because of its concentration in Queensland. Mm. Okay, but out of banks like altogether, don't like the banks at all. Okay, all right. Uh, Carlos says uh, a really good analysis from both uh, Rod and Julia there on Suncorp. Uh, Julia, Nick wants a view on Shopping Centres Australasia Property Group. Uh, any, anything with shopping centres in it at the moment seems to be scaring the wits out of most investors. It's a real estate investment trust uh, owning um, basically regional and, and neighbourhood uh, shopping centres rather than the, the big capital city Westfield type ones uh, um, through Australia and New Zealand. Uh, what do you 
how do you think they're going? Well, first of all, when it comes to property, I prefer things like industrial property and office property ahead right. of retail property like this one. But if I had to choose within the retail space, then the neighbourhood ones look a lot better than the big type of Westfields yep. with a lot more specialty stores. And that's because people were still uh, going to neighbourhood stores to go to their Woolies and Coles. And in fact, if you have a look at this portfolio, it was spun off Woolworths. So right. at the centre of each of these centres is usually a Woolies. There's about mm. 69 as, properties. As an anchor Tenants as an anchor tenant right. so you you have the stability of people needing to go there for groceries um, but we know the whole space is being impacted by probably lower asset valuations and ability to collect rent in this area so the rent outlook is probably deteriorating but given where the price is at the moment it's not looking too bad here i wouldn't mind putting a little bit of money on it even though the sector outlook looks bad it does right. look like uh, shopping centers australasia may have just been sold out and you know the bath baby's gone out with yeah. the bath water here because I don't mind the fact that it does have Woolies as the anchor tenant, which means a bit of surety in terms of foot traffic. Right, okay. Do, does it have a reasonable yield if you're a yield investor? It, it traditionally does, but um, because of COVID-19, right. the collection of rents have, has okay. been a problem like other retail landlords. Right. So uh, would you be investing in it? Yeah, at these prices, probably yes, okay. just a small amount. All right. Uh, Rod, what do you think of uh, Shopping uh, Centres Australia property? Yeah, I think uh, some of the positives, uh, almost half of their income is generated from non-discretionary retail. So that's your Woolies and your Coles. And, you know, as Julia has already called out, that's a, that's a real positive in terms of, uh, to some extent, kind of insulating a business like this against some of the, the downturn that we've seen across the broader REIT sector. I think uh, all things considered, we felt the result that they just announced was was okay. Rent collection was 77% of build rent over the quarter from March to June. So they didn't suffer as bad as uh, some other peers or, or other businesses in this space. The total cost of that rent lo rent loss was about 26.8 million, which uh, just for context equates to about a month's worth of rent under normal circumstances. So I think they've done pretty well in the circumstances uh, given that underlying uh, tenant base. I think that They've been conservative with their reporting. Uh, they've written down or waived around about 70% uh, of that lost rent already. So I think you know this, this appears to be a very well-managed business to us. It appears to be one of those ones that is well aware of those headwinds and is uh, proactively managing them. Okay. Would you be uh, buying it at this price? I think it's got a little bit further to go uh, in terms of some of the downside, but. Um, yeah, we like what we see and uh, we would probably be looking at a buy in this one. Okay, all right. So um, um, Shopping Centres, um, Australasia Property Group, get a tick from both Julia and Rod. Don't go overboard if you're lo looking for uh, uh, something in a real estate investment trust, um, it stacks up pretty well against the rest. Um, Katrina, uh, Rod wants a view on Boral. The, uh, the big uh, materials group, building materials group here and in the United States has been in a whole world of pain over the, over the last year or two. Um, what's your view on Boral? Of course, um, Seven Group Holdings has built a, a stake of 13% in it. Um, so uh, Ryan Stokes um, seems to be wanting a hand at the table if uh, anything happens there. Yeah, that might be as much about controlling upstream uh, construction activity for certain big yellow machinery. But, um, but I, I think with Boral, it's always one of those 
ones that, you know, when a new CEO comes in and uh, quite rightly puts a stake in the ground and says, look, I want to do a review and I want to get a really good uh, understanding of where we can go forward from here, you're always in, a, in an environment that's more uncertain than, than normal. And so, uh, you know, our, our sort of inside view is that I, I think the, the new CEO will do that portfolio review. We think it's more than likely to result in a simplified business, which could unlock shareholder value and, you know, divestment of all or part of those US operations, which were consolidated during the teens, uh, might be on the cards. I think the potential downside for that is that, you know, if there are asset sales to come out of that review, then they will be sold at depressed prices. But potentially, you know, the simplification on the other side of the balance sheet might mean that uh, the business that emerges post those asset sales will be easier to manage, better managed. And certainly one of the things that we like is that the CEO has already stated right up front that he doesn't think there'll be a need to raise fresh capital. So mm. for existing holders, that means no dilution. And with a simplified business, uh, you know, that, that could be a good opportunity. I, I think, you know, there are headwinds, of course, particularly in the US, uh, one of which is the ongoing supply of fly ash for construction materials given closure of coal plants, which is obviously the main source of that. So I think all of those things is pointing to, you know, review, simplification, uh, you know, whether it's return of capital to shareholders, uh, I think time will tell. But the fact that there's no dilution uh, has already been forecast, we think is a good thing. Right. So at, at around four bucks and sort of on the expectation of a breakup, would you be getting in at four dollars or waiting? We will wait on this one. I think that, you know, the there's no other way to describe borrowers, but it's been beaten up over the last three years. And I think, uh, you know, the forward PE doesn't look cheap at 25 times earnings, but that's on a depressed earnings base. So if you have a look at, uh, you know, essentially what they earned in FY19, then the forward PE is about 11 times. So it's almost in the right range, I think, but not quite just yet. Right. Julia? We're in on this one. So we got in about 350, 360. Right. And I do like to enter into companies with upcoming catalysts. And the catalyst here is that strategy review of its portfolio, which is due in October when its AGM is at the moment. So, so and new chief executives usually come in and just get all the skeletons out of the cupboard and, and make the hard decisions because yeah. they've got no history. And look, he's the ex-Bramble CEO, so lots of experience ah. in terms of turnaround and complicated businesses as right. well. So, and he's been quite clear that, That's you know, um, yeah. that uh, he will be looking at unlocking value. So right. he's obviously been brought on because of the new shareholder, shareholders on the register right. who are looking at... Um, so unlocking value is code for, I'm going to get rid of a whole whole bunch of underperforming assets and see if someone else can do it better. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I guess just having a look at the underlying business, look, Australia has been under pressure because Victoria has gone back into yep. lockdown. Um, so that's obviously impacting on its Australian business. But over in the US, I've been really surprised at how strong US residential housing has been. Um, and I think that's been a, a real positive. Now, Boral hasn't been able to capitalise as well on that strength in US housing because they have been impacted by their workforce um, and COVID-19. But I think in the six months ahead, that's really going to be potentially a positive surprise coming out of Boral. Right, okay. So um, uh, buying a, you're buying around this level? Uh, I been, we, we're bought in lower. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is but it I'll still be holding fair off. value here? Yeah, I'd be holding off. Um, I'm happy to hold until the October review to right. see what comes out okay. of Okay, so hold until October to see how it comes out. But obviously a good chief executive has come in who's used to this sort of thing. Yes. 
uh, with a proven track record. All right, there you go, uh, Katrina. There's the opinion on Boral. Um, Julia Jordan wants a view on Money3 Corporation. Uh, basically call it a fintech company. Don't you? A, a financial group uh, specialising in basically um, car loans and, and personal loans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is quite an interesting one. Um, the outlook for repaying loans isn't too great at the moment. Obviously, stimulus has helped in terms of repayments. Yep. And in fact, June, in mm -hmm. terms of repayments for Money3, was a record month. So that shows the impact that the extra dollars in the bank account has been yep. having. Um, look, Money3 is really in the area of loans for used cars. So this is an interesting area um, because a lot of people, they don't want to take public transport at the moment. So the used car market is quite strong. Right. Um, in fact, they said that in July they saw a record month um, because people are basically buying cars to avoid using public transport. So it's been a strong month. So I guess the, mm. on the positive side, um, their underlying market, which is providing loans for used cars, is looking very strong. But then yeah. on the negative side, the outlook for the repayment of loans is looking shaky. Um, so it's important to see what the company is saying in terms of their loan book. And I think about 79% of their loan book they classified as uh, good or strong. 19% though is in a, on a watch list, 3% substandard and 1% impaired at the moment right. with their last update. So just watching the quality of their loan book once stimulus starts to roll off. So happy to be in it at this stage, but keeping a close eye on their loan book as well as the impact of stimulus wearing off. And if I do see any signs that that stimulus wearing off means less of a repayment of those right. loans, I'd be getting out right. quite fast. Okay. So... Yes, it's a buy for the time for the being. time being. Okay, but but watch carefully. Uh, Rod, what do you think of Money Three? We, uh, I think they've done well in growing the loan book. I think that's probably the first thing that we call out. So it's four times what it was five years ago, and, and they've been able to attract a three percent market share. So I think that's been a really good positive sign and a good growth trajectory. I think profitability has also been good over the course of the last few years, and. The FY20 result was very, very strong with earnings up around 30%. So, you know, I think all of those things show a business that's well managed uh, is operating in a segment that, uh, you know, has strong consumer demand, which uh, has been reflected in that, the shape of that curve to some extent. I think that, you know, Julia talked about it and I think she's right, you know, that this is a story about credit quality at the end of the day. And I think, uh, you know, credit quality is one of those things that we know the big four banks are struggling with. Uh, we know that credit quality is something that uh, is on the mind of the Commonwealth Government in terms of uh, some of the stimulus measures that they've already announced and likely will announce in future. And so um, even though bad debts were in that guided range of four and a half to five and a half percent, so it was, uh, 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 that's on average of gross loans across FY20, I think one of the key questions for us is what does that trend look like? And, you know, I think uh, given this style of business, you know, we, we wouldn't be buying this one right now. Uh, we think that now's not the right time to be exposed to, uh, to businesses where, you know, the, uh, the name of the game is about leverage. Okay. All right. So a no on money three uh, from Rod there, Jordan. Um, Rod, Peter wants a view on Cube Holdings. Now, this is the, the big ports and logistic group, the old Patricks, um, if you like. And... Uh, um, which are or um, Cubone's fifty percent interest in Patrick's um, and a lot of other port and logistic assets. Um, 
So it's almost like a, a freight handling business, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. I think, um, you know, the first thing to call out with Cube, I guess, is that, you know, uh, what's management's view on the impact of COVID-19? Because I think that's obviously front of mind for them. And given the style of business that they are, that's uh, going to have a massive impact on, on profitability. And so uh, management has been one of the companies that has provided some good, robust guidance. And they put it, uh, the impact of earnings in FY20 from COVID-19 at about 15%. So that's through disruption to port volumes. Um, and they've said that that disruption will be ongoing, but over time they expect that to improve. And so I think that's, uh, you know, that gives you a real insight into what uh, what will be driving profitability there. Uh, I think, you know, one of the big um, factors in Cube is, is their more bank facility. And I think, you know, that is strategically well placed to benefit from economic growth in the medium to long term in New South Wales. Um, at the moment, we understand it's only been 25% leased to date. So there's a lot of capacity there which doesn't help in a market like this where you can't introduce price tension so i think that that and the likelihood of increased competition from some recent changes around uh, government approvals for larger numbers of b double haulage uh you know i think that's going to increase competition so you've got some you've got some issues there that are going to uh, cause some ongoing pressures on the queue business and um, there is a current process ongoing for the sale of the logistics assets which obviously includes that more bank facility and if they can sell that then they'll crystallize the value of the asset which would be uh, pretty substantial in terms of its impact on the business so uh, you know uh, this would be a business that uh, if if I was the CEO I'm not sure how much I'd be sleeping right now <laughs> okay if you're an investor probably not sleeping much as a consequence as well uh, Julia what do you think of cube I guess when you look at Cube, it's logistics, transportation businesses are almost a reflection of what's happening in the economy. If yeah. the economy is strong and there's strong activity, then this is a company that traditionally does well. Unfortunately, we're amidst COVID-19, which is a little bit abnormal. So I think one of the key questions to ask here is what is recovery going to look like? Are we going to see that V-shaped recovery, which I think is looking less and less likely? What yeah. we'll probably see is a spike up and then demand once again moderating um, before we start the slow climb back up again. So look, I think the outlook for Cube is still uncertain and probably a little bit slightly negative. And in terms of more bank, well, this is a big one for the company. I mean, if they look to develop it themselves, they're gonna to have to probably spend about $2 billion, which you know they don't have, so then they're gonna to have to raise capital. And that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is that they, uh, they're, they're able to sell off about 75% of it, maybe retain about 25% right. ownership. But if they can't sell more bank off, then you're looking at the potential recapitalization of the company. Um, right. So look, I think that's a big risk and I wouldn't be getting into okay. it. Okay, all right. So Anyo there on Cube. Let's just uh, recap uh, the first five stocks in our stock of the day. Um, Whisper, the big uh, communications platform, uh, a hold from Rod, a no from Julia. Julia also pointing out, if you look at the charts, if it drops below that 380 level, uh, it could go below $3 uh, on the breakdown. Now, Whisper is part of the calls portfolio. So now, as a result of this, we take it out of that, that portfolio. Uh, Suncorp, a no from both. Um, Shopping Centres Australia Property Group, um, yes from Julia for a small amount in terms of a, um, a real estate investment trust, well managed. It's not 
the big capital city shopping centres. It's more regional uh, with Woolworths as an anchor tenant. So in that space is quite good. Um, Rod is a yes on shopping centres as well. Uh, Boral, a no from Rod for Julia. She's going to wait till the strategic review in October comes out to see what they actually do with the business and whether they're going to break bits off it. Uh, Money 3 um, is a no from Rod. Um, and certainly uh, Julia likes it, but we'll be watching for any uh, loan book impairments that come through and that will be a sign to get out of it uh, and cube a no. As I said, we have uh, our own portfolio tracking here since the 1st of July. Any stocks that get um, a thumbs up, a, a big tick from both unanimously from both our panel of experts we put in there. If it gets reviewed again, like Whisper has been, and it's not unanimous, it comes out. It's all about learning how to invest and companies' fortunes change and information changes. Um, so let's take a look at how it's going at the moment. In the last week, it's down 1.5%. Uh, the one-month return is up 3.5%. And since July the 1st, it's up nearly 9%. And um, we'll keep following that on a regular basis. Of the, of the stocks that have recently been added in the last week or two, Polynovo, uh, Catapult, um, Integral Diagnostics, Macquarie Group and CSL have all been added. Now, if you want to see the whole portfolio, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we'll keep you up to date on how it's going. Um, now, just a quick programming note, be sure to keep watching um, Ausbiz because in the next hour at 1.45, uh, Sigma Healthcare Managing Director Mark Hooper off the back of the company's results will be chatting right here. That's 1.45 Eastern on Ausbiz. All right, let's get back to our uh, to the stocks that you want us to take a look at and uh, Julia William wants a view on vicinity centres. <laughs> so we, we've been talking about shopping uh, group um, uh, Australia a bit earlier in the program. Vicinity Group um, uh, really owns some massive shopping centres in capital uh, uh, capital city centres. Uh, the Chadston Shopping Centre is one iconic group uh, or shopping mall that they do own in Melbourne. Uh, what do you think of vicinity, Julian? I mean, in that property space, I guess my top two picks would probably be Chatterhall Wales, which we own, which yep. is doing a, a capital raising yep. to pick up that BP portfolio. And on the fund manager side, uh, Chatterhall as well. Um, right. So th they would be my preferences. Looking at that shopping centre area, I mean, as we mentioned, you're facing falling asset prices, uh, potentially difficulty getting rents, um, and then when you see the renegotiation of rents, they're likely to be lower as well from the specialty sector. So look, a declining outlook. I probably still prefer shopping centres Australasia to vicinity centres. Vicinity centres is a lot more diversified. They have regional, sub-regional neighbourhoods as right. well as outlets. But I like the shopping centres Australasia because of that um, anchor tenant of Woolworths, which yep. I think lends a bit more stability to something like vicinity. Okay, all right. Uh, Rod, what do you think of vicinity? I'll start straight up by saying that this isn't one that we would be recommending a buy, but I will call out a couple of things that I think are really interesting. So you mentioned Chadston, obviously, the Victoria exposure is a concern. Uh, I think the share price being down, you know, 45% so far this year, we question whether that's an accurate representation of the amount of value that's actually been knocked down by the pandemic. I think. Okay, so they did a large capital raising in the share purchase plan earlier this year, and so shares on issue increased by 
uh, but it gives a quite a bit of balance sheet flexibility and at a gearing ratio of just 26%, you know, that's at the bottom of the company's target range. So, you know, I think um, this is one of those ones where the pandemic has really frightened investors given Vicinity's uh, current operating business and exposure. And, uh, you know, there is an ongoing headwind around that structural shift to online shopping. Uh, you know, I think the FY20 result, of course, below expectations. So this confluence of things has happened that have really put vicinity in the uh, in the sites, in the crosshairs, if you like, in terms of negativity. Um, but I think having said that, you know, it's quite, it, this one will be interesting to watch once the Victorian economy starts to open up again. And, you know, that significant drop in value that we've seen, uh, you know, shown on screen now, uh, sort of 49 odd percent, be interesting to see how that recovers over time. But for now, we wouldn't be buying this one. Yep. Okay. Uh, Rod, what about uh, mainstream group? Uh, George, you want to view on that? This is this is basically a, a fund administration platform, isn't it, for fund managers and superannuation uh, trustees? Um, one of those platforms to make back offices a whole more lot more efficient. Indeed, it is, and I should disclose that in fact it's our fund administration platform at client. So. Uh... <laughs> I think that's important that we get that one out. So yeah. I, I probably is it, won't make it. Is it working well as a user? Uh, we're very happy with it. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> I, I won't make a call on buy, hold, sell as a result of that. But what I will do is just talk about what we see as some of the, some of the, uh, you know, the, the sort of pros and cons. And I think, as you say, a fund administrator, so they're a direct beneficiary of, of, you know, ever growing pool of, of investment and retirement capital and not just in Australia, but operating across Hong Kong, Singapore, and more recently in the US. So the growth profile of the business is looking quite good. During a pretty challenging year, it grew their total funds under admin by 14% and EBITDA by 24%. And mm. so that's, uh, they're good positive signs as well. And the US business is performing very well with thumb doubling. Uh, essentially, that's a private equity uh, business that's being supported over there. By nature of the business, the contracts are long-term, they're sticky, uh, they've got very high retention rates, and uh, it is difficult for uh, a customer of Mainstream to change. So they're, they're quite, uh, once Mainstream wins a customer, they tend to hold on to them. I think some of the headwinds, uh, you know, we're seeing new ways of investing emerge that uh, essentially are disintermediating these sort of platform or administration style businesses. Uh, you know, I think that those businesses will continue to take market share from businesses like Mainstream. But, uh, you know, I think Mainstream have recognised this and they're starting to introduce some new product initiatives, such as the work that they're doing with Magellan and BetaShares. So, you know, we, we think that there's um, some positives there in terms of the, the nimbleness of their response to that competitive threat. Okay. Uh, so I think I think it's a really interesting business, Mainstream. And as I say, we, we won't make a call either way, given the fact that they are affiliated with our business. But... Um, you know, really, uh, really interesting platform they've got for growth. Mm. Okay, got a conflict, but pretty good analysis and positive analysis on it. Uh, Julia? We use Link Administration oh, at, yeah. at Berman, <laughs> um, but basically services to fund managers, super funds, trustees. Yeah. There are a few of them, aren't there? There are a few of the them market. out there. Um, basically providing fund accounting, registry, subcustodian services. Right. Um, and obviously mainstream has Magellan as its customer, which is a, a, right. a big one. Yep. Um, and that expansion in the US looking pretty exciting in that private equity area. So the US business looking like it's becoming profitable, which is mm. um, an exciting area of growth. Um, they announced top line growth, so revenue growth of 11% in the last financial year. 
and they're guiding towards the same about the same amount of growth in the current right. financial year as well. I just say with the shares having run up as much as I they have, say, mate, it's been, <laughs> it's a moment, good chart. yeah, I probably wouldn't be buying in here. I'd be waiting for a bit of a pullback before entering into the stock. So look. I like the model, I like the growth that's in there, the growth drivers. I don't like the valuation at the moment. I'd be waiting on a pullback if okay. I was interested in But the a well-run business. Um, yeah, it's it been well. growing well, especially with the exchange trader uh, fund providers, I right. think, are an area of growth. And of course, um, the other thing that I'd be watching um, with some of these services type companies is the great work from home experiment um, because mm. of lockdown. My yeah. husband said, um, if you want your job, go back to work because otherwise it means that anyone in the world can basically be doing your job. Right. And I guess that's a lesson to learn, even in businesses like this, can some of the areas be a, sort of, you're looking at like a global workforce rather than just an Australian one. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I know just in my little business, um, we had somebody, uh, one of our sales team moved to France and saying, can they work? Wow. From France. And I was going, give me a break. Koshi, can uh, I work for you? I'm going to France too. Because <laughs> his wife got transferred there. Uh, his partner got transferred That's there. great. And I was a disbeliever. Um, it's actually, it seems to be working at the moment um, with, with everyone connecting uh, sort of virtually, uh, digitally um, around the world. So, um, yeah. Um, I think your partner might be onto something. <laughs> Here it's really interesting how flexible workplaces are becoming. All right, uh, AJ, Julia wants a view on Megaport. Now, okay, this is, this is again one of these big communications platforms that governments and big corporates use, isn't it? And groups like Megaport bring it all together. Yeah, is so that right? Megaport is a software defined network. So yeah. if you need access to a data center, it basically connects you via software instead of having to go out and buy expensive hardware. And the oh. great thing with Megaport is that it can uh, connect you to multiple data centers. Right. And as, company uses diff as companies use different data centers, they not only have to move data to those specific data centers, but often they're transferring from data center to data center yeah. as well. So Megaport allows all of that and it's called the software defined our network so okay. the ability so next dc is a big data center operator so megaport would connect to next dc so right. it, it connects to 366 data centers in right. i think just under 130 cities around the world so right. it is definitely a growth area and I, I look at this as sort of being the next sort of telstras for the next generation mm. um, because really it is about data it is about cloud so i think megaport's yep. an interesting one i like it here okay and it's had a big run up at 15 bucks. Yeah, I mean, the revenue was up by 65% right. last year. So when you're seeing growth rates like that, that's quite hard to find in this type of market. So I think this is a company that's benefiting from that structural shift that we're seeing right. to, to, to cloud. And that's been accelerated because of COVID-19. But in no way, shape or form do I think that that structural trend is going to stop anytime soon. Okay. All right. Rod, what do you think of Megaport? Yeah, similar sort of style of business model to Amazon Web Services in many ways, you know, that kind of optimised capacity utilisation across multiple data centres. So it's a really good model, I think, you know, founded in 2013 by Bevan Slattery, who, as we all know, is one of Australia's leading tech entrepreneurs, and he's obviously on the board and remains a substantial shareholder. So, uh, you know, really good depth of capability in the business. Uh, you know, I think, um, I think the challenge is maintaining that growth trajectory 
uh, and at some point achieving a cash profit. I think you know that share price looks pretty good, uh, but they're burning 45 million bucks a year and uh, are yet to achieve a profit. So, uh, you know, the, the questions here are, for us are all about the strategic ambition for those connected data centres and uh, getting an idea of that true scale of that business and balancing that really uh, robust would be the best way to describe it, robust share price uh, with the cash burn and what the potential for this business could really be. So uh, an interesting one uh, and you know, a business that I think has a lot of potential going forward. Right. So what's your call on it? Would you be in at 15 bucks? No, not right. at this stage. I think that, um, you know, the, the uh, you know, weighing up that kind of cash burn and the opportunity, we're a little bit, uh, we want to see a little bit more proof in the pudding in terms of getting closer to cash profitability before we would be right. in. And look, if that means that we miss out on some of the uh, valuation upside, we'd rather take a little bit more risk off the table and do that. Right. Okay. And Bevan Slattery, he's the uh, the bloke who, what did he buy into? He bought into an HR platform and... Um, I can't remember. Uh, Rod, do you remember the it's a big... stock he bought into about five weeks ago and it basically doubled in price overnight because he decided to put some yeah. money in? I don't remember the stock, but yeah, that's um, yeah. not, a, not yeah. an atypical story in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's one of those uh, those tech gurus that every, everyone follows when uh, there's an old investment sort of saying you follow the smart money and in the tech area, he seemed to be some of the smart money. Um, so uh, good. Uh, thank you for the suggestion for Megaport there. Um, next one from Ben uh, Rod, Emico Holdings. Um, basically, is it, this is in the infrastructure uh, mining services area. They rent out big earth moving equipment. Yeah, that's correct. This is all about uh, exposure to the mining sector, which as we know is uh, you know, across the board, but particularly in a couple of areas where Emico is exposed, is growing very, very rapidly. So, uh, you know, mining equipment and rental and, you know, the diversification across coal, iron ore and gold. Obviously, coal, uh, you know, still still strong presence here in Australia, but around the world is suffering some pretty significant headwinds. Uh, but iron ore and gold, those key sort of drivers of Emico's profitability, running very, very strongly. So uh, profitability solid, return on capital, of 20 percent uh you know it's been uh, it's been a good story so far even though that's not necessarily reflect reflected in the price uh interestingly they've just uh just raised around about 150 million to reduce debt and uh the uh, they've done the institutional component of that they're about to do a retail component uh and so net debt post that raising will be around one times ebitda so that's a much more manageable balance sheet from our perspective. I think debt levels are probably a bit too high. Uh, so we, over time, I think we'd also want to see a bit more deleveraging. It's great to be in a situation where there's a bit of a resurgence of mining right now. We don't know how long that'll last. And so we'd like to see that balance sheet deleverage a bit more and, uh, and get a sense from them about what they're seeing about activity trends, uh, you know, particularly in, in the key sectors where they're seeing growth. Okay. Including right. debt, the P's, sorry, just just very quickly, including debt, the P is less than ten. Now that does seem a bit cheap, um, but as the business is deleveraging, you know that can sometimes have some adverse impacts as well. So, yeah. yeah. But now and this so, is uh, sometimes there there can be a reason they're cheap as well. So uh, not for you at the moment. No. Uh, Julian, Emiko. 
Koshi, you know, Australia is the best digger of dirt in the world, <laughs> and I guess Emiko is all about providing the shovels, so the earth moving equipment which it's in. Um, but having a look across this exposure to the mining services area and the mining area, one area that has been quite soft and poor is coal. So the oh. outlook for coal doesn't look so great, but that's been offset by the stronger outlook that we're seeing for iron ore as well as gold. So look, a bit of a, a mixed picture for Emiko. I would prefer to hold the miners rather than the mining service companies. Right. But if you want a bit of a combination, a stock that I do like is Mineral Resources, which has exposure to that iron ore. So it's right. got a, that iron ore business, but then it's got the mining services side of the business, which was up around about 59% last financial year. And the lithium part of its business, which saw a loss, but is potentially a growth um, driver down the track. So no for Emico, but more in mineral resources. Maybe something a bit more diversified. Okay. All right. Um, and just we're talking about Megaport and, um, and Bevan Slattery, Pointera was the one that he invested in and doubled and IntelliHR Intelli HR, right. was the other. <laughs> so no one had heard of IntelliHR until Bevan Slattery went into it. But um, you know, it's a pipe super loop. I think NextDC is. Yeah, well. yeah. NextDC was um, one of the founders of that, I think, too, was they in very early. So. When you make an investment decision, uh, do people like that being involved, is that part of your filter? Uh, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to Boral, part of it is the experience um, right. of the new CEO. So you, in, a, in a circumstance like that, you're making a value judgment on what you think um, is going to happen because obviously a different leader, it can lead yeah. to a different outcome when you are looking at things like strategic reviews. So right. having that um, track record of being able to turn around a business, sell off parts of a business, I think are, yeah. are pretty important when what, it comes What about to a key investor, like a Bevan Slattery into a small company? Yeah, I mean, a small positive, but you know, investment right, okay. is a whole different area. Yeah. I think it's much more important who's running the ship um, right. and the experience of management. And often with smaller companies, I'll just back the management experience. Right. Okay. Uh, Rod, what about you? Yeah, so quantitative filter is uh, is very robust around trying to identify, you know, where the opportunities are for really good quality businesses. And then, you know, our, our qualitative overlay is, is about, okay, well, let's have a look at the management team. Let's get a sense of their track record, their experience, how much they've done in terms of uh, sort of similar uh, opportunities, growing businesses in the past. What's their level of participation in the business from an equity perspective? Do they have an owner's mindset, if you like? Yep. Uh, so, I mean, we, we, would, we would look at, you know, the shareholder base, uh, but it wouldn't be a, a major factor in the decision. It, right. It's kind of interesting, um, and particularly where you've got a prominent shareholder like that and the share price has run up so hard, we would, that would probably be, we would view that more as a negative than a positive yeah, at the time. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, our final stock uh, has uh, been suggested by Richard Julia and that's Oz Minerals. Um, as it, uh, the name implies, a resource stock, mainly in that, that copper area with um, with projects in uh, around Australia, but but also some in Brazil as well. Yeah, um, we have this one in our portfolio. It's been performing right. very well, um, mainly a, a copper play here and copper yep. prices have been doing well. In fact, if you have a look at inventories at the London's Metals Exchange, they've been falling for four consecutive weeks. So if you have mm -hmm. less of the material, it's a positive usually for the price. And certainly the price has been rising. So inventories at the LME, the lowest level that we've seen, I think since 2005 and as you can see 
as a consequence. Not only copper prices have been rising, but Oz Minerals has been rising as well. This week, we also saw um, export numbers out from China for the right. month of August. They were up by 9.5%. And given that China is such a big consumer of commodities, I think that's important um, as well. But this is really about um, character Patina, which is ahead of schedule, which is its new growth project, as well as its more traditional um, project of Prominent Hill, which is doing well. So production's going well at a time when prices are rising. Yep. And if you have a look at inventories at the London's Metals Exchange, the major exchange for um, for trading copper, well, they're relatively low as well. So mm. pretty happy here with Minerals. Okay. Would you be happy to buy more at 1460. Yeah. I got asked this probably about two months ago on the right. on Ausbiz, and I said yes because you know um, things are moving up and things are looking good for copper as well as iron ore. I think I got asked on Oz Minerals as well as Mineral Resources, given right. the share price is up 60% in the last quarter. Are you still comfortable yep. getting in? And really, when I'm investing, I'm not looking so much at what the share price has done in the past. I'm more right. interested okay. in what it's going to look like right. in the in the future. Okay, so uh, a yes for Oz Minerals. Uh, Rod, what do you think of Oz Minerals? And, you know, you, you could argue that there's a little bit of a uh, windfall gain in, baked into the share price as a result of the current gold price at you know, just over 1900 bucks an ounce. So that's that's up 60% in the last 24 months. And if you map that against the share price, you see some interesting correlations. So having said that, I mean, you know, really good, um, really good earnings growth, uh, good good sort of forecasts for uh, the 21 and. Uh, upgraded production guidance at Prominent Hill, which we'll um, we'll see that later this year. And uh, despite that, not not much of a yield on the stock. I think that um, that's also interesting. I think that it's uh, you know the company's choosing to invest a lot in development. So uh, you know one of the kind of the macro drivers, if you like, that we like in this context is you know that growth in electric uh, or electric vehicle manufacturer over time, which is a really positive tailwind for uh, for copper in particular. So you know, we think that um, we do like Oz Minerals, but given how hard the gold price has rallied, uh, you know, we'd, we'd probably hold on that one at this current price. Okay, so hold and wait for a, a pullback. All right, uh, that's our, um, our final five stocks. Just to, to recap what we've been through, vicinity uh, centres, a note from both uh, Rod and Julia. Mainstream group, uh, Rod spoke highly, does well. Want to give a view because they use the platform. Um, Julia says probably on a pullback. Look at it, but not at these prices. Uh, Megaport a yes from Julia, a no from Rob. Uh, Emico a no from both. Um, if you're looking in in that sort of sector, uh, Julia prefers mineral resources. Um, Oz Minerals a yes from Julia and a hold from Rod. Um, Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Great to see you again Great as usual. Here. Good luck with the markets. Great to see Berman Invest doing so well and the portfolio Thanks, doing so well. And Rob Bristol from Climb Investment Management. Rod, appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now, if you would like uh, to suggest uh, stocks for us here on the call, you can do so by flicking us an email on the call um, uh, at osbiz.com.au or on Twitter. You can do it uh, using the handle um, at AusBizTV.